I'm Bill Dudley with co-host Sean Sexton, each week bringing you a new edition of Music of the Isles. You can listen anytime at WMNF.org slash Isles. Hey, this is Rosie Flores, the Rockabilly Philly, and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Good morning to you, my dear friend. Isn't it just an exalted way to boost your Monday to an astral level, listening to the Healthy Steps radio show here on WMNF Tampa? the only station that the entire Peachum family streams, and you can stream us as well at WMNF.org. And oh my giddy aunt, today Dr. Harvey has gifted us with another Ask Me Anything Monday component of the Healthy Steps radio show. So you know what has to be done. You can ask your question. You can unburden yourself by simply dialing 813-239-9663. Irene came in today looking forward to taking your call, so don't let her down. That number again is 813-239-9663. You can also send an email to dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Well, a good chilly Monday morning to you, Dr. Harvey. Let me tell you what, I think that if it had been any colder, I'd feel like I'd been rolling around with a coven of naked witches. So I'm going to sit over here and warm my bones beside the glowing embers of this fireplace and let you chip through the ice and start the show. What have you got for us today, Dr. Fred? Yes, a beautiful and brisk morning it is. Happy Monday, Bill, and Thank you. all you happy, healthy steps listeners. So, uh, yeah, let's heat it up a little bit. <laughs> I've been doing that a bit this year. The provocateur in me just can't seem to stop pushing on truth. And, um, yeah, I got some interesting emails uh, after my last couple shows uh, suggesting that maybe we don't have the resources to give everybody luxury treatment all the time on a public dollar. Uh, Americans have grown to really expect luxury treatment, you know, two weeks in the ICU when you're dying at the cost of $300,000, when you're going to die anyway, and we know it, is pretty excessive. Heart transplants in people that have a year left to live, again, kind of questionable. We need to really think about how we do these things because resources aren't infinite. America's figuring that out with $32 trillion in national debt because we make death machines as a principal export. Think about it. Our debt is related to financing death around the world. Not peace, not love, not education, not end of poverty. Unless you consider that making arms dealers rich is an end of poverty. <laughs> I love the show Guns and Butter. Um, truly a way to actually consider what we're doing here. Is it going to be guns or is it going to be feeding the population? But that's just another subject <laughs> for another day. What I'm talking about really today is the deadly rise of scientism. And as a medical scientist, as someone who's concerned with truth, I find it really difficult when I get called an anti-vaxxer simply because I question the validity 
of using medical experiments to foist them on the public. I was asked a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned Dr. Latipo, the Surgeon General of Florida's letter to the federal government. Does it have merit? What are the merits if there are any? Well, the issue is that we're looking at a rational man, a doctor who has questions about a therapy. Many doctors do. Many have had questions about many therapies for many years. In fact, um, I was uh, reading a really interesting article by someone called a Midwestern doctor on Substack, uh, Pierre Corey, K-O-R-Y, Pierre Corey's Medical Musings Substack is actually where I um, uh, um, read this post. And this one came from the forgotten side of medicine. And what it's discussing is the change, very strange change that's occurred in medical science over the past couple of decades. And it's of great concern to me because science changes constantly. In fact, the scientific method is designed to undermine old scientific theories as we discover more information. We can rewrite the science books because we understand a deeper level of meaning within the science. And what we've seen over the last couple of decades is that politics and money have become infused into the scientific debate. Well, it no longer is a scientific debate if we're not actually debating the merits of scientific method and the actual results of different nuances in the results of scientific method. For example, we have an arbitrary way of looking at medical statistics to determine if they are valid. Statistical analyses of, of many different types are used, but the most commonly used one, the most referenced one, is the p-value. The p-value. The p-value is an estimate of randomness. And the p-value is given in basically a percent, um, but not written as a percent. It's written as a decimal. So a p-value of 0.01 or 1 would be 1% chance that the experiment had a random outcome. So we couldn't believe um, in that 1% that it would be uh, invalid. But actually, the arbitrary nature of the choice is that medical science has chosen that 5% is the maximum acceptable randomness that is is allowed to be considered a statistically significant result. 5% randomness. So 95% confidence that this actually is a true experimental result. That's very, very high standard. You know, that's a, an A+. Plus. But we know that when you read the actual results of the study that they said that Ivermectin doesn't work against coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, we find that it actually had a 91% confidence interval for 70% reduction in mortality. So medical science, or actually medical political science, 
because <laughs> this is really where we are, because it's the experts have decided to tell us that the ivermectin doesn't work because they made a study that showed that there's only 91% likelihood that it works instead of 95%. So ethically, well, not ethically, I'd say politically, arbitrarily, they're allowed to say ivermectin doesn't work. But ethically, morally, and and, and in reality, when you look at the results, it, it, you have evidence that there's a 70% reduction in mortality, 91% confidence that it's actually an accurate result. But the experts are allowed to say it doesn't work and foist other therapies on you like Paxlovid, which is much less effective <laughs> than the ivermectin at reducing mortality. Um, you have to wonder what's going on here. So I don't think we're discussing science anymore. We're discussing scientism. And you know, there, there have been very many politicized and political actors in, quote, science, medical science, that have come to the forefront. And one of them is Anthony Fauci. He's taken a lot of flack. You know, he did some good work in his career. But he's also obfuscated truth during the pandemic. Many people have actual documentation of him waffling on different videos about things he said. But also, he supported a non-science approach. He calls it the science. And he even says that he represents the science. Well, that's why there's some question, because representing the science means he's representing the religious institution called the science, the one where you worship the results that you want and selectively take the pieces out of the religious text that you choose would forward your cause, but you don't talk about the rest of the religious text. Dr. Latipo's letter points out a very important thing that many academic scholars, physicians, scientists are recommending we look at more deeply and that none of the drug companies have actually assessed what are the long-term consequences of injecting plasmid DNA contaminants. These are DNA fragments from other organisms. The bacteria that probably were involved in creating some of this, the viruses that were involved in creating some of this, and we're actually having leakover of this plasmid DNA, little chunks of DNA wrapped up in phospholipid packets, the same little packets that deliver the RNA into your cells so that they can start creating spike protein. Well, what happens when those plasmid DNAs go in? DNA can actually intercalate into your DNA. It can actually alter your genome. We have not seen long-term data on the genomes of organisms that have been injected with these packets. This is why Dr. Latipo suggested that we stop using them until we actually get the clinical data. This is a rush job. These are still not approved medications. They are experiments, emergency use authorized medical experiments. I'm not saying that they don't reduce the death for people in risk groups. What I'm saying is that we haven't studied them to the point where they even pass muster for FDA approval as a medication. And the ones from 2020 are gone. They're no longer even emergency use authorized because the science keeps changing. So why are we not allowed to debate the science? Is it because the experts represent the science and they're allowed to be the only ones that translate scientific information to the rest of us? There's been an experiment. It's really interesting. In 1996, before we had AI, uh, a very brilliant 
uh, researcher was really annoyed with the way papers get published and the methodology that they get published. So he created a computer program and into it he fed a bunch of nonsense. And this computer program, pre-AI, created a nonsense paper. And they had it actually accepted for publication by a revered journal simply because they made the stuff up in the format that meets the criteria of these organiz uh, organizations. And so these, these um, many fields, they're using really impressive rhetoric to confuse people. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed in medicine is that diagnoses are often simply a Latin word that describes the symptom. You know, diabetes, you know what that means? It means sugar. It tells us a lot about what's going on. Hey, hey, sugar, there's a sugar over there. There's another sugar. It doesn't describe anything about the pathophysiology, especially because diabetes is a wide ranging and varied illness with different iterations. And so if we can't actually discuss the iterations like we can't with the way the shots and the other medications are affecting different people differently, it becomes really, really a problem because confusing rhetoric can confuse everybody. And so the lay people can't understand it because actually the people talking about it practically don't understand it because it's made up stuff. Not all of it. There's really science out there. But since 1985, people have been actually questioning the validity of uh, vaccines publicly, debating it. But we're not allowed to debate it anymore. Even in what's supposed to be unbiased journalism, they're they're being purchased and and we have evidence of that you know there there's a um uh, a guy named McClatchy i think it's joseph mcclatchy he owns uh, or or a huge part of it his family owns the mcclatchy news service of canada it's kind of like scripps howard here in uh in uh america but mcclatchy he loves the news and so he decided to buy reuters news service uh reuters is a really uh, a a big organization and they basically produce news for other outlets to actually listen to the news. And so and so they have they, they, like a, they republish a lot of Reuters information. So Reuters is like core, supposedly unbiased news. But I think it's fascinating that this guy Joe McClatchy is on the executive board of Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. Do you think that McClatchy and, and Reuters is actually being honest about the stuff they produce if this guy's selling a product and he owns a huge chunk of the news sources? It's rather of concern to me that this is actually what's going on in our world today. And I just want to remind everybody, this is interactive. I think we've got some people on the phone, but I just want to remind us, this is the Healthy Steps radio show on WMNF 88.5 Tampa. It is indeed, and today's topic is Ask Me Anything, so you're encouraged to participate by calling 813-239-9663 or send your emails to dj at wmnf.org. I've got DeAndre, Gina, and Steve, so let's go to DeAndre. Good morning, DeAndre. Hi, DeAndre. Yes, good morning. Thank you for taking my call, Bill. And uh, thank you, Dr. Harvey, for uh, bringing up that topic. I, I had another one. I feel like it's kind of a lower-hanging fruit in the same vein, but I will express that, you know, I got the shots, and I understand the emergency uh, uh, the emergency aspect of what you're expressing. I, I appreciate it, too. Um, uh, what I was curious at, or am curious about is... Uh, 
what are they called? It's electrolytes. Excuse me. I apologize for that. Uh, Electrolytes. Um, I have been experiencing, is there two, well, I've been experiencing a lot of benefit, uh, it seems, from electrolytes as of recent. I recently included them in my morning regimen, and I'm not getting as sleepy. My thoughts are a bit clearer, and I did some simulation uh, in my day now where it hadn't been necessarily prior, and I was trying to maintain hydration and um, utilizing some different remedies uh, more, uh, to, to help address my health. And, I, you know, I, I just poured a little electrolyte powder into a bottle of water. And, you, you know, the next thing you know, it's like uh, everything I've been missing, you know, without, like, having to see my psychiatrist in some time. Or, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, those uh, pharmaceutical medicines of psychotropic. And I'm just curious, is there any relationship to that? Is there, are there, is there too much, too much in the electrolytes that I have to be concerned for? I'm, I'm really curious um, about that because it's, uh, from my particular circumstance, has been pretty helpful. I'll take my Excellent. Glad off, to hear it. Offline. Off Thank you. Uh, uh, over, over the air. Thank you so much. You're welcome, DeAndre. So that, that's, uh, uh, electrolytes can be really helpful for a lot of people. Many, many people. In fact, most, I think, um, humans are a bit deficient in magnesium. Um, we get magnesium from eating our leafy greens and seeds and nuts. And um, um, also, uh, we can get some in our water unless we do reverse osmosis, which strips it all out, or distilled water strips it all out. But uh, yeah, when you start taking electrolytes, your body is going to be happy because electrolytes are needed to help your nervous system work well. Magnesium is used in about 400 different enzymes. Uh, and, uh, uh, so I think the best place to get, uh, electrolytes is by eating your fruits and vegetables. Um, great source for potassium is celery, cantaloupe, citrus. Oh my word. The citrus is in Florida is burgeoning with delicious citrus. You want your potassium, eat some fresh citrus. Grapefruit is very high and oranges are, um, and so, if you are someone who works outside a lot and you sweat a lot, you want to take extra electrolytes. There's a lot of good ones out there, um, and uh, I would look for one that has, you know, magnesium as a principle, um, and and you want some potassium, a little bit of calcium, but calcium comes in a lot of different places too. Magnesium is what we're deficient in, and everyone feels a bit better with magnesium. Sleep can get better, nerves can get better, muscles work better, and so yeah, I agree with getting uh, electrolytes. Who's next? Oh, by the way, all those medications you might be taking can deplete your magnesium and can deplete your other uh, minerals. Um, la uh, um, laxatives and, and diuretics can uh, deplete your potassium. So if you're taking medicines, go online and go on the uh, drug nutrient checker and see what's been depleted and add some in. Okie dokie. Um, I've got uh, Janine from Sarasota on the line. Good morning, Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, it's actually Jean. Oh, hi, Jean. Hi there. Um, avid listener, first time caller. Really appreciate your show. Um, my topic is overactive bladder. I'm 66. Uh, was diagnosed in the spring and with 
medication and pelvic PT exercises, I kind of had things under control until uh, this fall. I drastically changed my diet at the beginning of October to a whole food plant-based diet. And about three weeks So that means you're a vegetarian or you eat mostly uh, plants? Um, mostly, for a couple of months, you know, uh, vegetarian, actually no dairy either. So mm-hmm. no meat, no dairy, and watch out for salt, oil, and sugar. Um, now I'm doing maybe meat once a week, um, but my symptoms just went through the roof about three weeks after the drastic change to my diet. Um, so I wanted to know if you had any advice to cure or minimize. I am working with a Euro gynecologist and the pelvic PT, and I'm also wondering your opinion on the ALCAD or MRT food sensitivity testing. Um, our current thought is maybe it's food that's triggering because I have good days and bad days. Oh, I think you're hitting on something there, and I don't know that you even need to bother with doing a food sensitivity, and I would skip the ALCAT or the MRT. I'm not really thrilled with that technology. I've seen too much crossover. The more accurate of those is the first version of those. It's called the ELISA Act, A-E-L-I-S-A-A-C-T. Russell Jaffe developed it. It is a very strict protocol, and you will find the specific foods that bother you if you're going to go that way. However, your tip to me that this got worse when you went plant-based tells me that you're probably adding plants that you didn't eat before. Is that correct? That is, and lots of different spices that I never ate before. So my experience with people who have these symptoms is that it's probably um, the plant, not the herb, because the volume is bigger. And many plants contain a substance called oxalate. Oxalates are irritating. They're like urate, which causes gout. This causes a similar kind of problem. And I have seen people who increase their oxalate intake get worse bladder symptoms. Uh-huh. So you may want to look in your plant-based choices for lower oxalate foods to take the pressure off. Okay. That would probably be the first thing to do. And then if that doesn't work, you might want to consider looking at the food sensitivity test. Um, And then uh, make sure that you're getting several liters of water a day to flush those oxalates and other chemicals out. And finally, um, the overactive bladder is a nervous system issue. And you might want to look into uh, doing some sympathetic and parasympathetic autonomic Uh, nervous system balancing, um, working on uh, breath work to help with vagus nerve and and sympathetic tone um, and uh, other uh, uh, methods for balancing the the system. Um, Sometimes this occurs simply because you've lost your hormones and you might need some uh, vaginal estrogen to help to make the pelvic tissues happier so they aren't spasming already on that and good stuff doing breakfast with the um the the pt um excellent the the symptoms are really due to diet so the urogynecologist has i'll call them kind of invasive options ptns e-coin botox sacral neuromodulation you know if in fact it's really diet based if i went to any of those things is that really going to solve the problem I keep eating um, <laughs> remove the toxin is the first step. 
Yeah, I hear you say that every time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's um, what I would do. Uh, work on diet and take it one step at a time. Um, uh, look at the highest oxalate foods, things like chard and spinach and um, white potatoes and soybeans. Yeah, okay. And start getting the oxalates out and then see how you do. Awesome, thank you. And then a quick question about um, getting drugs from these Canadian pharmacies. So I actually got yeah. you. Um, is this for real? I mean, I don't know if you know, Merbetric and... Um, they're they're ridiculously tech. priced. Um, look, look think, think about this. America is the profit ground for the um, pharma. We are yeah. where they test everything. Our FDA allows them to test stuff on us, as you can see with the emergency use authorized shots. Um, everything gets tested here and everything gets tested here at a much higher price. We are how they make their profit. They sell more drugs here than any other nation in the world per capita. We are a drugged nation. We are brainwashed into believing there's a pill for every ill. Dive in. All right. Um, so are you saying that it's safe to buy overseas? They're, they're made by the same manufacturers. They just sell them cheaper in other countries. So if you can import your own pill from another country, why not? This is a ripoff here. Our, our government sold us out. <laughs> Flat out. <laughs> so even though Mabretric, uh generic isn't available for another 10 or so years here, I can get it in India. That's okay as well? Oh, I don't know about that one. India yeah. or China generics that are off patent. I mean, yeah, they have a process, but are they cutting corners? You know, we found out that the generic uh, ranitidine, Zantac, contained one of those carcinogens because they were cutting corners. You're going to probably really want to get the brand name from another country rather than because they, they do use better process. They are actually held to a higher standard. Right. I appreciate that. And then um, if I wanted to go with the sensitivity test that you mentioned, how do I find that one, the Alyssa? Um, look it up online, order the kit and ask your doctor to order it. <laughs> Great. Thank you. This is wonderful. Appreciate your help. You're welcome. Okie dokie there, doctor. I've got uh, Steve and Al on the line, but I'm going to give you a chance to look at the emails for a second while I read out the phone number and do a PSA. You are listening to the Healthy Steps radio show here on WMNF Tampa, and today's topic is Ask Me Anything. So dive in, have fun, and ask your question. Give a call to 813-239-9663 or continue sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. And here's a little snippet for your listening ears. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Okie dokie. Let's go to Steve in Clearwater. Good morning, Steve. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, Steve, how are you? Good. Thanks for taking my call. So I had a question about um, thyroid hormone. And um, I recently, for my annual checkup, you know, I did the blood work a couple weeks before, and my my TSH reading was higher than it normally is. So it was uh, 7.43, well above the 4.50 threshold, I guess, at least with Quest. And mm-hmm. um, my doctor immediately put me on 
uh, 0.05 milligrams of levothyroxine. And mm. the, the kicker is he didn't want to discuss anything diet-wise or anything, just kind of shook his head about that and says, nope, this is what you need to be on. And oh, sounds like somebody needs the education. Exactly. So my question was, um, uh, I wanted to ask him, obviously, was, could this have something to do with, I like your last caller, Janine, I had added some vegetables. I'm primarily vegetarian, but I do eat, um, I do eat some fish maybe once or twice a week, uh, specifically salmon. And I did add things that I'm wondering if they are high in, is it called goitrogen, kale, things like that. And I'm wondering if I'm not even preparing them properly and maybe I'm making that kind of a mistake. So I'm, I'm just wondering about that. Yeah, actually dietary changes do have a significant impact on the way your thyroid metabolizes. So do toxins. Um, and so does the absence of iodine. Uh, eating right. fish a couple times a week, that's good. If it's farmed, you're going to probably have less iodine in it. You might want to eat sea vegetables with it to get some more iodine. I recommend right. that everybody use iodized sea salt when they cook because that way you get a little bit of extra iodine. Sea salt doesn't contain as much as iodized salt. Got it. Um, the goitrogen foods, yes. If you eat lots of them and you're living on a lot of that, you might actually interfere. Uh, there are different chemicals in different foods that interfere in different ways. And so um, somebody who uh, does, uh, you know, um, soy milk on their cereal for breakfast and has a tempeh sandwich at lunch and tofu scrambles for dinner or whatever, you're looking at somebody who's eating a lot of potential goitrogens, especially if you right. do your tofu um, stir fry with some broccoli and some kale, you're adding some more of those kinds of chemicals in that do tend to interfere with thyroid function. So um, you wanna look at an anti-inflammatory diet, one that's lowering goitrogens, higher in iodine, lots of protein too, because this thyroid uses tyrosine to make the hormones. So if you're not getting enough tyrosine in your diet, um, you may not be having enough raw material to manufacture enough hormone. And if you're eating too low calories for your body, your thyroid is going to actually not make as much thyroid hormone because you don't want to be doing burning, you know, metabolism when you don't have enough fuel to burn. So a lot of different things that can come into this. Um, right. So when... Oh, it was probably 10 years ago. I went to this interesting um, and eye-opening, because um, uh, I realized how far out there they were, a Harvard-sponsored mm -hmm. uh, lecture of endocrinology for the primary care doctor. And they were talking about thyroid. And I asked, um, so he, he made the, the, the lecture made a really good point. With a TSH between 5 and 10, that just means the pituitary is looking for a little more hormone. It doesn't mean your thyroid has failed. And he said, I would never put someone on, this is a Harvard endocrinologist, I would never put somebody on um, thyroid medication for a 7.3 TSH because we don't know if that's real. I would wait and recheck it. I said, okay, good, good idea, doctor. So what is your methodology for watchful waiting? And he just kind of stood there and looked at me like I was asking an alien question. I said, no, what I'm saying is my patients are proactive. I deal with people who care about their health. So what should I tell them to do to make sure their thyroid's working better next time we check it? He had no answer. So I said, well, what do you think about actually getting goitrogens out of the diet? Oh, he liked that. I said, what about using some iodized sea salt? He kind of liked that. I said, well, how about my patients that really want to get proactive and they want to take a dose of iodine to help? What do you recommend for your patients? 
oh, what's in a usual multivitamin was his response. And I said, well, you know, I do natural medicine and I see about 30,000 different multivitamins and some have IO9, most don't. So what's your recommended dose? Oh, what's in a usual multivitamin? I said, I just told you. There isn't a usual multivitamin. What do you think about 100 micrograms a day? He said, oh, okay, that's okay. <laughs> this is Harvard telling us how to use iodine to help thyroid stay healthy. I have right. a question about whether they're actually doing healthcare. <laughs> right, wow. Well, thanks, this has been helpful. And um, Glad to when, help. you, when you mentioned the tyrosine, um, are there proteins that you recommend? I mean, I do eat beans, things like that. Again, I mentioned salmon and... Yeah, I think if you're getting salmon a couple times a week, one thing you could do is actually go online and get a protein calorie counter. See how many grams of protein you get a day. And I'd get at least um, for um, someone with a borderline thyroid, at least a half a gram of protein per pound of body weight a day. Got it. Very good. Well, thank you. And um, yeah. what else was I going to say? That was it. Oh, no. I'll head over to the tip jar uh, sometime later. Just thank you. Have a great thank day. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you there, Steve. And let's go to Al in Odessa. Good morning, Al. Good morning. Good to hear from you guys. Hey there. How you doing, Al? Very good, thank you. Um, my question is to do with Crohn's. My wife has uh, fought it for a good portion of her life. Uh, recently, because it got severe, she had a section. I don't know which intestine, but about a six-inch section taken out in her Health has improved quite a bit with medication. Mm -hmm. Now, to keep her on the up and up, because I know once it progresses, you're constantly, you have a tendency to take out more and more of your your insides until you become, you know, using a bag. So yes. is there a good avenue to take to just keep the, the good health? Well, has she seen a functional medicine doctor yet? Say that again, please. Has she been to a functional medicine doctor yet? Uh, probably not. She's take, you know, she is really on top of it, but I doubt she's done that. Okay. So that would be a good thing to consider. In the meantime, okay. has she tried the, um, specific carbohydrate diet? No, for, I think she's got so many problems. It's like, I think there's, yeah. for some reason, carbohydrates are something she's supposed to take in too much of. She's not supposed to. Right. Right. So there's a, a book called Breaking the Vicious Cycle, and it talks about the specific carbohydrate diet. It's a great place for people to start when they have um, Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> it will often help improve. Um, other things that help to improve is balancing the microbiome. Sometimes having the wrong bacteria growing there and you don't even know it, things like uh, um, um, Klebsiella or other things might trigger it. Another big trigger for colitis and ileitis is uh, dairy fat, eating dairy, uh, especially even dairy fat and uh, pasteurized dairy. It, it triggers an immune response in the bowel. So mm -hmm. dairy would be a good thing to avoid with this problem. Yeah, she does. Uh, yeah, it basically started when she was a child. She had uh, kidney problems, and they used so much medication, I guess it neutralized her biome, and that's where you know, yeah. the trouble started. So I would, I would suggest that she find a functional medicine doctor and uh, get a good and what, school what, what microbiome exactly, test. What is exactly does functional uh, doctoring mean? It means that you actually do healthcare instead of illness care. You look at the human condition and find out why it's actually out of balance and dysfunctioning so that you can actually fix the dysfunctions and treat the root cause so that the mm -hmm. disease goes away. 
Okay, sounds good. All right, yeah. very good. Thank you. You can you can find that on ifm.org, Institute for Functional Medicine.org, or you can visit Functional Medicine Florida for a local. Okay, very good. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Good luck with Thank that. You. Okie dokie. Let's go to Lauren in Tampa. Good morning, Lauren. Hello, uh, Dr. Harvey. Good day. Uh, hi. Um, my problem is H. pylori. I've been dealing yes. with this a couple of years now. I've been trying to handle it naturally. My acupuncturist has given me stuff and it worked. I was at a level six. Now I'm at a two, but I'm just tired of, you know, waiting for this to go away. <laughs> So, you know, I asked my doctor, who's a functional medicine doctor, um, about antibiotics, and she asked me, well, what antibiotics do I want to go on? And I'm, you know, I was, um, I didn't have a question because I thought she would tell me, but do you think I should just stay with the natural stuff or should I go on antibiotics? And if I should go on antibiotics, what kind? So that's a nuanced question. Um, does H. pylori need to be treated all the time? <clears throat> There's a question. I'm not sure. Um, I do believe it needs to be treated if the individual who has it is experiencing gastrointestinal symptoms or um, failure to thrive. So if you have belly pain, if you have heartburn, if you have ulcers, if you have the things that would be like having H. pylori infection, being aggressive, yes, I would treat it. Um, if you're not having that, then you have to wonder, are there other things going on? Fatigue, weight loss, um, uh, achiness. Uh, are you having the signs and symptoms of more than that? And then the other thing is, have you had your full um, microbiome checked by that doctor? Because having an appropriate microbiome will actually prevent the H. pylori from really hanging around. Well, I yes, I, I've, had, I've had several stew tests done and that's how i was able to know i went from a six to a two um so my last test i did it a couple of months ago and um um yes with the ulcers yes i i do have that i i thought i had an attack a couple of uh weeks ago and that's okay. why i was frantic and i that's why i asked the doctor i think i yes. need to go on antibiotics so yes yeah, so there are um several different um uh courses, several different regimen uh, for treating H. pylori. And I would actually discuss those with her and have her make the decision because she's the doctor. Well, she said chloramide. It starts with a C. Chlorid okay. Chloramide. Usually it's a several drug regimen, not one. Right. I, I was, I had this done like when I was in my twenties, um, in my fifties now, mm -hmm. and, uh, I am allergic to sulfa. So I, okay. so I don't use sulfa to treat this one. I've never used sulfa to treat it. So it would be a good idea to talk to the doctor about regimens. And I think that would be the best course. So you think I should go on the antibiotics? If you're not getting better with natural and you're having attacks, like you're having ulcers, it seems the next step would be to okay. elevate you to a higher more intensive therapy. Uh, and and is it only for two weeks? Um, it's whatever you and your doctor discuss. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you there, Lauren. And I do have Chris from Clearwater. He's been waiting patiently. Good morning, Chris. 
Well, good morning, Doctor. I um, Hi, Chris. I, I want to call, call him about Dr. Ladapo, uh, but I just wanted to comment that in order for emergency use authorization to be granted for the COVID shots, they were required to state there were no available or effective treatments. So that's why ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine had to be defamed, as well as of course, yes. ignoring supplements like vitamin D3. Um, Correct. But uh, Dr. If you'd like, uh, I think um, Dr. Kevin McKernan would be a great guest as well as Dr. Ladapo for doing a show on the uh, DNA contamination. That, of course, uh, Health Canada has acknowledged with the uh, mRNA COVID shots. Um, that would be great if you can connect us. Um, I'll I'll chat with him. Okay, I could try that. Uh, give it a shot. Um, yeah, he's uh, Dr. Ladapo is very accessible. I know him. Um, yeah, I was actually um, thinking of calling Dr. Ladapo and see if he wanted to uh, chat on uh, Florida Public Radio. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's very accessible. Last Friday, he was on the Robert Scott Bell show where I got to ask him if he was aware of uh, not just the DNA contamination about which he's expressing concern, but the, the studies that show in vitro um, alteration of, uh, of um, our DNA. Yeah, uh, this stuff is real, so, and and we're having trouble talking about it. Yeah, so he's going to be looking at those studies, and um, and but you know some of the concerns that Dr. Lodzapo expresses in his latest letter on December sixth is about autoimmunity, and, right? Uh, the cancer uh, cancer developing from the SV forty enhancers and promoters, the chromosomal instability, and integrating. Yeah, he talks about all kinds of very important things. I just don't want to go into great detail on one sh- on on a on a, a broad based show on it. But yeah, I mean, the, there is merit in these discussions, and not just Dr. Uh, Latipo, but many other academicians are questioning this scientific method. Not questioning the integrity of the people yet, but really questioning what's actually been printed. That's rational and reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, the FDA acknowledges that with contamination levels as high as they are, that you'd expect to have all these risks. And uh, and so, yeah, uh, some of the studies that, uh, fortunately, Robert Scott Bell Show forwarded to him, I just uh, posted up on my blog's page over, if you want to check it out on my site, it's at theliberationstation.com on the blog's page, uh, COVID, it's entitled COVID mRNA shots alter DNA, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, it's, so, there's so yeah, much information. People just need to go looking. And, and I really thank you for your input, Chris. Um, I'm going to look and see if we can get some of these people on to future shows. But I've got 10 more callers. <laughs> Have a good day. If I, if I could mention, uh, I, wasn't, I didn't take it easy on him as well, but we're going to see what Dr. Ladapo thinks about uh, Governor DeSantis signing HB 1191 about a year ago, requiring the Florida Department of Transportation to study the use of phosphogypsum which is radioactive waste from phosphate mining in road Yes, I question a lot of what our government does, but let's move on to another medical question. Okay there, doctor. I've got Tom from St. Pete on the line. Good morning, Tom. Uh, yeah, hey, uh, doctor. Um, to, to follow up on my uh, last question on teas, uh, last time we spoke, um, I, I am having a close encounter with uh, some sort of respiratory virus, and um, uh, when I get sick, I, you know, I do a, a regimen of, you know, herbal echinacea, some golden seal, yarrow, and, and uh, elder flowers and things like that. Um, but uh, do you have, like, a top five list of um, immune-supporting uh, teas or foods, or well, more, more specifically teas, 
that I could drink on a regular, if not daily basis to like keep my immune system uh, on, on a, uh, a top shape? I do not, but I do have um, uh, supplements. I work mostly from extractive supplements rather than teas. The, the, well, supplements that I could do on a uh, regular, if not daily basis would be just as good because I found most of those I can make into teas. <laughs> Okay, so echinacea once a week is a good way to boost your system. Using uh, eating oats and mushrooms actually uh, helps to uh, tweak your immune system. You could take a mushroom extract, but I like to eat um, myataki mushroom. It has beta-1,3 glucan in it. It tells your white blood cells that kill viruses to stand up and pay attention. Quercetin is a great thing that comes from red apples and red onions. It makes um, your uh, mast cells that make histamine and allergies calm down. Um, any of your other antioxidants support the entire system. So eat a rainbow of vegetables and fruits and you will be getting immune boosted. Uh, eliminate uh, uh, excessive added sugars because that will tear down the immune system. It slows down your white blood cells. Every teaspoon of sugar slows your white blood cells down, makes them less effective. So stop adding teaspoons of sugar. Um, get good protein because your white blood cells make antibodies that are made from protein. So make sure you're not starving yourself of protein calories. And if you uh, uh, want to take extras, uh, vitamin D is a very good thing to take when you're, when you're sick. If you feel like you're getting a cold, um, <clears throat> many natural doctors would recommend you take a dose of 50,000 units once to just flood the system with vitamin D because it'll saturate everything and do a good job. Um, many recommend 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C three times a day while you're ill, but just getting your fruits and vegetables um, has great vitamin C in it. So get your eight servings of fruits and vegetables and you'll be way ahead of the game. Well, in conclusion, I will say that uh, your list is almost identical to my diet. Uh, I eliminated sugar a long time ago and I only get sugar through uh, fruits. Um, I and I bet you stay very healthy. Well, you know, um, there's there's a nasty one going around, and I'm uh, I'm relatively asymptomatic, but uh, you know, uh, uh, like I said, uh, yarrow and elder and echinacea when you when you are uh, under the weather are uh, you know pretty 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 uh, useful. Uh, and a good decongestant okay. Go is a Chinese herbal called Bian Pian, B-I-Y-A-N-P-I-A-N. Uh, get it at a health food store. It's a really good decongestant. It doesn't rev you up like Sudafed. My uh, acupuncturist uh, uh, turned me on to that uh, a few years ago. Uh, uh, thank you for reminding me. I'm going to go back uh, to the archives and listen to this so I can write down all the, the, the gaps in my diet. And uh, thank you very much, Doc. Have a great day. You're so welcome. Have a great one. Feel better. Well, thank you very much there. I've got um, John, Ben, and Cindy in the lineup. So let's go to John. We've got about 10 more minutes to the show here. So... What have you got for us, John? Great. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, doctor, about five years ago, I was uh, preparing for a surgery on my knee, and uh, my primary care reported um, that I had low platelets and then referred me to a hematologist who I've been seeing ever since. And my platelets, uh, I asked them why they never told me about platelets, but uh, I guess uh, 120 to 150 is ideal. Mine were hovering around 90. Well, my last uh, trip to the hematologist, I was at 60. And I was wondering if that's something to really be concerned about or um, 
Anyway. What toxin are you eating that's hurting your bone marrow? Mm. What toxin are you breathing that's hurting your bone marrow? Or what is in your body already that's doing this? Uh. You have an, uh, a sensitivity here. Um, platelets go down because they get eaten up by aggressive white blood cells in the spleen, generally. Uh, have you had a bone marrow biopsy? Yeah. And the bone marrow is working fine or no? Yeah, it was. Okay, yeah, it's your spleen. Um, you have T-cell uh, immunity more than likely. T-cell immunity is a subset of uh, uh, your um, white blood cells. And these T-cells uh, are the memory cells for all of your immune stuff. And, the, and they hang out in places like your lymph nodes and your spleen. And the platelets going through the spleen will get trapped by these um, white blood cells. So you're probably eating a food that's making the um, platelets uh, get get bound up. So it could be one of my one of my earlier uh, patients. I back in nineteen ninety seven had low platelets, and we worked for quite a while uh, using some traditional uh, medicine, high dose steroids to keep the 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 platelets up. But when we discovered um, that soy was the issue, um, eliminating soy caused the platelets to come up to one hundred and twenty and stay there forever. Okay. Uh, we're so I with uh, my hematologist. Uh, well, you're not going to get the hematologist to order a, an ELISA ACT test, but I would recommend you find a functional medicine doctor and get the ELISA ACT from Russell Jaffe's uh, lab and do the highest level you can. Um, they have like five different levels and the highest one gets you all these different petrochemicals and additives and dyes and stuff like that. So you can find out what you need to eliminate from your diet to make your body work better. Okay, I'll I'll do that. Uh, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Best wishes. Okay, thank you there, John. And let's go to Ben. Good morning to you, Ben. Yeah, hi. Hello, Dr. Fred. Hi, Ben. Yeah. Hey, Dr. Fred. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer <clears throat> and decided to go with radiation. And so the oncologist put me on Casadex for 30 days. And they took me off with some but more advanced tests came in, uh, thinking I didn't need to be on that. So we just did radiation. So shortly after that, I started developing this breast pain. And I always associated that with taking the Casadex. But everybody, all the doctors I talked to seemed kind of baffled about that, that why would, you know, only being on that for 30 days cause that. So this is two years later, and I'm still dealing with it. So recently, my primary doctor did blood work and asked for the prolactin and TSH. Yeah. They are slightly above normal. So I'm thinking that has something to do with this breast pain, those two hormones being a little out of whack. Yeah, it very well may be. Uh, more likely the prolactin. Okay. And then looking that up, talks about pituitary tumors causing breast enlargement correct although i don't think i have that but uh this pain maybe it's growing pain i don't know yeah know? so uh, yes that could be uh, an early sign of that uh, breast beginning to enlarge the the low level of prolactin is probably pushing on that because it does cause uh gynecomastia or breast enlargement all right 
So there are a couple of medications. If that, I have an MRI schedule. If are there not a couple of medications that will shrink uh, any tumors that might be on the pituitary gland? No, but there are medications that will block the effect of the tumor peripherally. Um, the tumor will still be there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I would, I would pursue the MRI and see what's next. Okay. And Good luck with that. Get into an endocrinologist. Yeah. Yeah. But first get your pituitary, uh, uh, um, evaluated for the, the tumor and then yeah. take it one step at a time. But an endocrinologist is a good choice. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you, doctor. You're welcome. So, um, yeah, if got some it looks like we're or... down. Yeah. The uh, uh, last minute here, and rather than doing a lightning round with that, um, uh, someone asked a question real quickly. Uh, any tips on female testosterone? How to lower it? Well, one thing is don't put pellets in your body and you won't get a high testosterone. I know, that was flippant. There are other reasons for women to have high testosterones, and that needs to be evaluated for pituitary problems and other issues um, if you're not taking exogenous testosterone. So next week, we'll be back to Ask Me Anything. And in the meantime, I'll probably still keep stirring the pot here because I think it's really important that we all get to talk about some important um, uh, uh, things and not really fall into that hole where we think that anytime someone talks about something different is propaganda because actually there's some science here thanks for your well wishes i'm not an anti-vaxxer are you <laughs> see you next week thank you bill that is irene in the uh phone studio she is. so thank She's you the captain in the control room there beautiful have a lovely week folks and i will see you next monday at 10 a.m all right thank you very much there dr harvey and i'm looking forward to another ask me anything monday next week so until then i want to thank all of our listeners participants and especially uh irene for doing the phones and everybody stay healthy you've been listening to the healthy steps radio show with dr fred harvey here on wmnf tampa coming on up is five minutes of npr news and then get ready for the sustainable living show hosted by the crackerjack team of kenny coogan and annie ellis so until next monday at 10 a.m thank you for supporting and listening to the healthy steps radio show with dr fred harvey here on wmnf tampa your community conscious radio station stay safe stay thoughtful and know that you are loved